verse 1 down to verse number 5 as we continue in our study in the great gospel of Matthew, doing a study on the life of the 12 disciples that Jesus called and employed to be messengers of the gospel. Matthew 10 verse 1 says, when he had called into him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the name of the twelve apostles are these, the first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. And that's who we're going to look at today. Father, we thank you for your word today. We ask, God, that you would allow your word to accomplish all your desire in the hearts of your people today. For your glory, we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. You may be seated this morning. At the end of Matthew chapter 9, Jesus made clear the statement in verse 37. He said, the harvest truly is plenteous. You know, when we look across the world today, we see a harvest field of souls that need truth, right? They need the gospel. And and, and the brokenness that's going on in the world today is because they don't know the truth and they don't know the God of truth. The remedy for the world is the gospel. I mean, we heard that today, right? Uh, I, uh, knowing, knowing Eric's testimony and sitting down and, and walking through that with him, somebody went from a broken life to now a life uh, that, that's whole and seeking God and, and, and Dolores and, and, and Brandy's stories. What a joy to hear that. Uh, what a blessing. And, and the transformation that happened in each one of their lives was, was the Lordship of Christ, was Christ sitting on the throne of their heart, was them coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so the best thing we can ever do for someone is give them the gospel. And the, the Lord highlighted a great problem in verse 37. He said, the harvest is plenteous. He said, but the labors are few. And so in the midst of a world in desperate need of salvation, the truth and the gospel, there are few laboring in those harvest fields. And, and why are few going and sharing Christ? Well, I think out of fear, out of selfishness, out of indifference, perhaps even not feeling it's their responsibility to go. And so I would ask you the question this morning, who is the last person that you shared the gospel with? Who's the last person that you told about Jesus Christ? Have you ever shared your faith? Do you realize the main reason God has left us on the earth is to be witnesses? To go into all the world to share the gospel? And he said, few are going to share. And the question is, will you be part of that few? Will you, will you go? And notice what he says needs to be the response in verse 38. He said, to the problem of a few going and the need of the harvest, he said, the, the, the starting point is in verse 38. He says, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You know, you would ask the question, why does he say just go into the harvest? But rather he says, Pray. Because prayer precedes faithful and effective evangelism. You you and I need to understand that we don't lead people to Christ. Christ leads people to Christ. We just share the gospel. We plant the seed, we water the seed, but God brings the increase, doesn't he? And so we need to pray for the power of God and, and, and moving in those situations, but also we need to pray for labors. And, and when you pray for God to send people, uh, you will find yourself raising your hand and saying, Lord, here am I, send me. And so do you pray for laborers to go and share Christ? Do you pray that God would raise up pastors and teachers and missionaries? We need to be a praying church for that. 
We need to be pleading with God every single week. Lord, raise up pastors and teachers. Or do you think there's other cities that need churches like Lighthouse in those cities? They, they need gospel. And some of them do. Some of them have great churches around this country. We praise God for that in and, and local cities. But, but my prayer and desire and, and things that we intentionally do here is to train men for the ministry. To train women that would be pastors' wives and missionaries, missionary wives, and to be ministers of the gospel. And, and we want to launch churches out of Lighthouse that populate cities all over the place. And, and we need to pray for that. And what you find Jesus doing in Matthew 10 is literally answering that prayer as he calls 12 ordinary men to be apostles or sent ones. And, and so he's sending them out. And, and we're slowing down to walk through and examine these 12 lives of these men because Jesus Christ uh, prayed all night before he chose these 12 men. And if he spent all night in prayer for these 12, surely we can slow down and examine each one of their lives. But Ephesians 2.20 also calls them the foundation of the church. Uh, Ephesians 2.20 tells us we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And so we know no foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the ultimate foundation, but, but they were foundation stones as well. And, and, and these are great men that God used, and we're going to find out uh, what kind of men they were over these weeks. For the past two weeks, we examined the life of Simon Peter, who became the leader of the twelve. He was the, the, the one who Christ placed over the twelve disciples. And this morning, we're going to examine his brother, Andrew, Simon's younger brother, Andrew. So what can we learn from Simon Peter's brother? John 1, if you have your Bibles, and flip over there to John chapter number 1. John chapter number 1, we will be introduced to who John, Andrew was in John's gospel. I'm so thankful for John chapter number 1. It fills in a lot of gaps that you don't find in some of the other gospels. Now, before Jesus Christ came, there had been 400 silent years. There was between the old, last Old Testament book, Malachi, and the coming of a man named John the Baptist. John the Baptist breaks the prophetic silence. He comes declaring a message of repentance and faith in that Messiah. Some were even wondering because of the power that was upon John's life, if he was indeed the Messiah himself. And he answered in verse 19 and says, no, I am not. In verse 20, he confessed, denied not, and confessed, he said, I am not the Christ. And he said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way the Lord makes straight his paths. Uh, and, and, and that's what he says in verse 23. And, 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 and what he says in verse 23 is actually a quote out of Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 is a prophecy of the coming of the forerunner of Christ, being John the Baptist. It says in Isaiah 40, verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way the Lord's make straight in the desert a highway for our God. He came to prepare the way for Christ, who the Bible calls who? God. Do you see that? Is Jesus God? If you don't believe Jesus is God, you will never be saved. There's no salvation in any name than Christ Jesus, who is the Lord God himself. John said that he is not the Christ. In John 1.27, he says, He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latches, he says, I'm not even worthy to loose. In, in, in verse 29, he 
continues the next day. It says, John seeth Jesus coming unto him. He sees his cousin, Jesus, coming to him. And he cried out and said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. What's interesting is John the Baptist was six months physically older than Jesus, and John said he was before me. The next day in verse 35 It says again, the next day after John stood and two of the disciples, looking upon Jesus as he walked, and he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And verse 37, notice, And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. John had uh, many disciples. You need to understand the the, the relationship between disciples and, and the rabbi or the teacher in that day was different than like student teacher relationships in our day. That they would like attach themselves to their teacher. That they would spend time with them. They would basically be their servant, whatever they needed. They would serve them, minister. Uh, they 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 wanted to mimic everything about them. So so these these two disciples are like attached to to John the Baptist. But when John the Baptist points out Jesus, they left John to follow Jesus, and to do that, John had to have given his approval for them to go, and they they did. And so. Verse 38 picks up and says, And Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? And he saith unto them, Come and see. Isn't that interesting? And they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. You are introduced to Andrew here in John chapter number 1. And to understand that before Andrew became a disciple of Jesus, Andrew was actually a disciple of John the Baptist. So one of the first things you learn about Andrew was he was very serious about his faith. He was very serious about pursuing Christ, the Messiah, and God. He wanted to be where the Lord was. He lived in, he was born in Bethbara, but he, he was living currently in Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. We have a picture there. I just want you to see uh, where this is. So John the Baptist was baptizing down here uh, in in this location, uh, just north of the Dead Sea. Uh, All the way up here, this is the Sea of Galilee, and right where my little arrow, or the little pointer thing is, is where Capernaum is. Uh, We have the next picture. So I pulled this up on Google Maps. I wanted to see if it could show me the walking distance. So uh, this, is, this is like 106, no, it's 100 miles. This is a 100-mile journey, which uh, Google says would take 31 hours to walk. Uh, so a day's journey among the Jews was about 20 miles. They would typically could walk in a day. So this would have been a five-day journey for him just to get to church with John the Baptist just to be where John the Baptist was. Now, he, they couldn't live with him all the time. They'd have to go back because they had to support themselves. But uh, they, they, they went all the way down there to be baptized, to learn from him. Uh, you, you learn from this that Andrew was willing to make sacrifice to be where the Lord's truth was being proclaimed. When Jesus was baptized, Andrew was there. When, when, when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, Andrew was standing right there with John the Baptist. Andrew was a fisherman, but he was sacrificially serious about following God. Now, if you want your life to be used by God, you need to get serious with the Lord. 
my pastor used to say this when I was young. He said, when you get serious with God, God will get serious with you. When you stop playing games with God, if God to you is some casual event, coming to church is not really exciting to you, following the Lord, you're not fired up about the Bible, you're not fired up about praying, you're not fired up about evangelism, you're not serious about getting sin out of your life, then I can tell you what, you've made zero sacrifice that really meant something to get to Him. He becomes a casual Jesus to you. Because when Jesus is casual, you can take Him or leave Him. You live with Him like He's a want and not a need. I don't want Jesus, I need him. I need him more than I need to breathe. Because if I stopped breathing, I would be fine with Jesus. So, so Andrew travels a hundred miles from his home to be where Jesus was. Christian, does your life reflect a desire for God? Do you reflect a passion and zeal for God? And if not, why not? What sacrifice have you made to be with the Lord Every week you hear me encourage and edify uh, to, to get up early, to spend time in the Word, to pray. And if you can't orchestrate your life to do things like that, there is a lackadaisical spirit that you have with God that needs to be repented of. That sounds strong, doesn't it? Well, maybe I'm not a morning person. Here's the problem. If I don't make Jesus number one in the morning, why would He be number one through the day? Right? So, so if, but if I place him on the throne by making sacrifices early, by the way, if I wait till the evening to spend time reading and praying, I'm going the whole day unprepared, right? We know what Peter did. He slept instead of praying, and Jesus woke him up at night and said, Why sleepest thou? Rise and pray. Get out of bed, Peter, and seek me. Do you think our world is so soft that we can go unprepared? Is it so easy that we could enter into it without time with the Lord in the morning? I mean, traffic alone makes me unspiritual. Right? How dare you drive down Highway 35 without praying, right? My flesh is waiting. We're like, we're like Cain when God says, sin lies at the door and its desires for you. We need to wake up and say, God, keep me, preserve me, uphold me, and, and pursue him. Andrew, Andrew had an intense faith that drove him to the truth. Secondly, Andrew had an immediate faith instead of a hesitant faith. When John pointed Jesus as being the Lamb of God, what's interesting, it doesn't say the crowds followed Jesus, but it does say two of the disciples did. Two of them, without hesitation, followed Jesus. Also, when they followed, guess who took notice in verse 38? It says in verse 37, the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following. Jesus turned and took notice of them because they were following him. Do you, do you, do you understand that when you begin to follow Christ and make sacrifice to be with him and really get serious, it, he'll take notice? Has he ever taken notice of you following him? Has your life ever caused Jesus to turn? He always notices those who follow him. In Acts 7.56, it's interesting because when Stephen stood up for Jesus in heaven, Jesus stood up for Stephen. In Acts 7.56, it says, Stephen's being, being stoned to death, and he says, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Do you understand how significant that is? 
We know the Bible says he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When Stephen stood up for Jesus and they're stoning him, Jesus said, let's open up the heavens for just a moment. And I want Stephen, my martyr, to see me standing up for him as he stood up for me. That's intense. Does he take notice? Oh yeah, you better believe he takes notice. Absolutely takes notice. Jesus sees them following him and says, what do you seek? Now Jesus doesn't ask questions for his own benefit, does he? He wants to see their heart. He wanted them to express their desire. And they say, Rabbi, which is being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? The word rabbi is like master, teacher, great one. We, we want to be your students. We want to be with you. And he says, where dwellest thou? The desire is, their desire was to be where Jesus would be. Wherever you're going is where we want to go. And Jesus said, come and see. You want to be with me, then come. Do you want to be in the presence of the Lord to seek his presence? You know, Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I love Psalms 27, 8. He says, When thou saidest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Isn't that a great verse to rise in the morning to? Come and see. You know, one of the great tragedies among so many Christians is instead of having an obedient faith, they have a hesitant faith. They wait and wait and wait, and they, they know God's calling them to do certain things, but they just keep waiting. Christ says, follow me. Well, I'll get to that one of these days. Be baptized. Well, I'll get around to that. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Well, maybe I'll make a New Year's resolution next year. Go and preach the gospel. Well, one of these days I will. Serve in the church. Well, you know, I'll get involved sometime. You just keep hesitating. You keep waiting and delaying. And one man said, delayed obedience becomes disobedience. If Andrew delayed to follow Jesus, you know what would have happened? Jesus would have kept going because you know what happens? The next day, Jesus left. Verse 43, and the day following Jesus would go forth to Galilee. They would have missed it. What are you hesitating to follow Jesus Christ in today? And, And let me ask you this. What has hesitation got you? A sideline position in the service of God? What more does Jesus have to prove? What more does he have to do for us to say, you know what, I want to be obedient. I just want to do what the Lord wants me to do. I think sometimes that starts at invitations. As, as a young person, my dad said, don't, you know, don't be hesitant. to. If you feel God prompting you, you need to go pray, you do that. Because if we keep, if God prompts me to come down to an altar and kneel down, and I won't do that, He's going to prompt me to share the gospel, and I'm not going to do that either. And He's going to prompt me to get up in the morning and read, I'm not going to do that either. He's going to prompt me to go spend some time in prayer, I'm not going to do that either. Because I keep saying no to Him at every turn. And then it takes some crisis in my life to wake me out of that slumber. You all know what I'm talking about? And, and so, let's be immediate obedience, Right? Andrew is teaching us to immediately obey him. This fleshes itself out about a year later. Matthew 4, Jesus comes to the Sea of Galilee. This is the same story we read a couple weeks ago in Luke chapter 5. When Jesus does the miracle of fishes, right? He said, cast on the other side, they cast so many. If you weren't here a couple weeks ago, you can go back and listen to that sermon. But Luke 5 is what, what caused Matthew 4. But they've known Jesus for like a year now. This is like one year into uh, Jesus doing some different ministry things. But Matthew 4, 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishers. And they, 
And, and he saith to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So what, what are they going to do? And they straightway left their nets and followed him. You know what? They immediately, they didn't, they didn't sit down and reason that how are we going to financially do this? Who's going to take care of this? What's going to happen to our nets? What's going to No, they, they just said, you know what? We're going to follow Jesus. They left it and went. So many people reason themselves out of obedience to God. And I just think, how tragic. Andrew's faithful submission to the Lord allowed the Lord to use him. I think of Paul's statement in 1 Timothy 1. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful. And then he put me in the ministry. Andrew's immediate obedience caused him to be one of the first disciples to be called to Christ. Peter may have been the leader, but Andrew was the first one. And the other disciple was John. And we're going to look at the sons of Boanerges next week, the sons of thunder. Interesting guys. But this unhesitating faith is also found in John 6. Flip over a couple pages to John 6. Andrew shows up again. It says, and after these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Verse 2, John 6. A great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain. And there he sat with his disciples. Again, Jesus goes up to mountains. And if you're going to follow him, uh, you're going to have to make some sacrifice. You're climbing. Always seemed to make it a little difficult. Verse 4 In the Passover feast of the Jews was nine. When Jesus lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company come to him. And he saith to Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he knew himself what he would do. Isn't that just fascinating? Jesus is like, I know what I'm going to do in his mind, and he's thinking this, but he asked Philip just to see if he wanted to see how far Philip's faith had grown. Um, Philip was asked the question, so he responds in verse 7. Philip answered and said, 200 pennies worth of bread is now sufficient for them that everyone may take a little. We're going to learn some stuff about Philip here in a couple weeks. But 200 pennies worth is about eight months of working, 200 days wages. And he's like, that, 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 calculate that out. That would be enough for uh, everybody just to have a little bit. Very detailed guy. Now, notice when this challenge of faith is issued to Philip, who the next person is who immediately, without hesitation, responds. Verse 8. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? You know, Andrew must have found the boy right away, didn't he? Here's the lad. He has five barley loaves. Now, these are not loaves of bread. Barley was the food for poor people. Not wheat. It was barley. And, and these are like little crackers, like little hard crackers. And they weren't like big fish. These were like, would have been like dried and salted, like little sardine type things, little fish. So it, it was just enough for a little boy's lunch. <laughs> I can tell you, if it was just us, we would have been like, yeah, I'm not even going to bring that up to Jesus. I mean, there's like 20,000 people out here. His little boy's got five crackers and two little sardines, you know. You just wouldn't bring it up. Notice how Jesus responds in verse 10. And Jesus said, make the men sit down. There wasn't much grass in the place, so the men sat down, a number about 5,000, 5,000 men plus women and children. And Jesus took the loaves, the little five crackers. When he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. And they gathered up 12 baskets from the fragments left over. Jesus takes this small, tiny, seemingly insignificant meal and uses it to feed thousands. You know, Andrew didn't have much to bring to Jesus. He didn't have much, but what he had, he brought. 
And out of all 12 disciples, Andrew alone pointed this little boy's food. No one else did. Andrew had enough faith to believe Jesus could maybe do something with this. Andrew offered the fish, but Jesus brought the feast. Andrew offered faith, and Jesus brought the fullness. It wasn't about how great Andrew's offering was. It was about how great Jesus was. Listen, if you have a hesitating faith that waits, where again has that gotten you? Missing God's plan and purpose for your life? Andrew could have said, you know, I'm not going to even, I'm, I'm going I'm to wait. I want to see what Jesus does. This is, this is just not even enough to bring up. But his unhesitating desire to do something. You know, I think about Luke 5, or Luke chapter 9, verse 57. It says, and it came to pass that as they went a certain way, a man said, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to them, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. Jesus said, Let the dead bury the dead, but go and preach the kingdom of God. He wasn't, he wasn't saying, his, his dad had not just died. That was a statement in that day saying, uh, I need to get my inheritance. I need to hang around until my dad dies. Once I have enough finances, then I can go. Jesus said, no, you, you're, not, you're not fit to serve in that manner then. You're hesitating. You're waiting till everything works itself out. When we started Lighthouse, I can tell you this, it didn't make any sense at all. It wasn't about rationale. It wasn't about sitting down and doing numbers. It was about coming and preaching the gospel to a city needing Christ. Well, how are we going to finance this? How are we going to do I don't know. Let's just preach and let Jesus build his church and see what happens. Stop trying to rationalize everything before you serve God. Because when you do that, I'm telling you, you're going to miss the boat. I'm not, there is a line between foolishness and faith, all right? I've, I had to sit down for years and try to reconcile that. But I do know when God leads you to do something, you just do it. You know, I know I should share the gospel with this guy, but, but what if he thinks, what if, yeah, what if out of, his, out of the Lord's will, right? What if I don't do the Lord's will? Why don't we ask that instead? Stop hesitating. Be at church. Share the gospel. Be involved. If you're not saved, don't hesitate. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. But what about, yeah, Matthew 13, 19 tells us Satan doesn't hesitate. He will come down and literally snatch the truth from your heart. You want to hesitate? You'll end up in hell. Hesitators go to hell. That's what happens to hesitators. If you're not saved, you keep hesitating. You'll hesitate all the way till you stand before God one day. And you'll be like, now I'm ready. Well, it's too late then. Don't hesitate. Andrew was serious about his faith. He had an immediate and not a hesitating faith. And thirdly, one of the most significant things about Andrew is Andrew brought people to Jesus. John 1, if you flip back there, look at verse 40. It says, And one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. I think this is one of the most wonderful things said about him. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. The word found there is from a Greek word, harisko. It's where we get the word eureka from. This was his eureka moment. The word eureka moments like the sudden triumphant discovery. Andrew's eureka moment of discovering Christ, he just had to tell his brother. And he brought him to Jesus. That is the most loving statement you could ever read about Andrew. If you ask Peter, so how did you come to know Jesus? He would have said, my brother brought me to Jesus. If there was 
Anyone in your life, is there anyone in your life that could say that about you? Have you brought anyone to Jesus? Will anyone be in heaven because you brought them? Well, people won't come when I invite them. Study was done by Dr. Tom Rayner. It showed, quote, 82% of unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if someone just invited them. The problem, he said, was only 2% of church members ever invite unchurched people to church. 98% of churchgoers never extend an invitation in a given year. If you haven't invited one person to church, you need to ask God to forgive you today. You have the cure to cancer, and you're not telling anyone. That's what that means. You have the cure to sin cancer, and you would rather them die than make yourself uncomfortable. That needs to be repented of, right? You think? You think that's okay? It's not okay. Seven out of ten unchurched people said that they've never been invited to church in their whole lives. Their whole life. I had somebody the other day tell me, they said, you know what, you, you encouraged me to invite my neighbors, and invited my neighbors, and they came to church. They're actually sitting in here this morning. Approximately 60% of those 18 to 35 would consider returning to church if someone they knew just asked them to come back. 60%. We all fail at this. Me included. But boy, we need, to, we need to learn to reach out, don't we? Walter Hendrickson tells of a story of a young man who was extremely apprehensive about witnessing on his college campus. Hendrickson said, Joe, how many students on campus do you know? By that, I mean, how many do you know by name? After a couple months, he said, I know maybe three or four by name. And this is what he said. He said, I'm going to set you a goal over the next four weeks, over the next month. I want you to know as many students' names as possible. Let's set a goal of 50. He said, I want you to go, you'd not share the gospel with them, just go play ping pong with them, go to athletic events with them, eat a meal with them. Just, just get around and get to know at least 50 people on campus. Hendrickson said when he met the man a month later, the young man had led six friends to Christ. He said, we didn't even talk about whether he got to know 50 people. We didn't have to. He discovered for himself that when he became friends with the publicans and sinners, the Lord naturally provided opportunities for him to share his faith. You know, we shake hands at church. If we can't even get around this room to shake hands, I can tell you we're not going to get out there and share the gospel. Y'all believe that? This is an easy place. Jesus told the man who was set free, he says, go home to your friends. The man who was demon-possessed, the guy, he said, go home to your friends and tell them what I've done for you. And he goes home and does that. That's where it starts, doesn't it? I challenge everyone here today. I want you to write down every person that you rub shoulders with on a weekly basis, like you communicate with them on a weekly basis. Coworkers, family, friends, neighbors, whatever it is. And set a goal that by the end of this month, I'm going to at least invite them to church. And set a goal by the end of the year that you will have shared personally the gospel with them. Don't end this month and this year without doing that. Plead with God. Get serious with Him. Andrew later is seen doing the same thing. In John 12, verse 20, it says, And there was a certain Greek among them that came up to worship the feast. This is the feast of Passover. The same, therefore, uh, the same, so these Greeks come to Philip, which is of Bethsaida of Galilee. Philip, one thing about Galilee, it was very populated with Gentiles. So maybe that's why they came first to Philip, desiring him saying, sir, we would see Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So, so some of these Greeks at the Passover, these Gentiles said, we want to see Jesus. What happens next is very interesting. Philip doesn't bring them to Jesus. He brings them to Andrew. 
Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. Now, why does he tell Andrew? Because Jesus was primarily ministering to the Jews. Andrew saw these Gentile truth seekers and he brings them to Jesus. You know the name Andrew, which is kind of a cool name for a guy. It means manly or brave. You know, Peter's little brother was like the manly, brave guy. But, but, but also he grew up in a place where it was known as the Galilee of the Gentiles. And, and you know, Simon, Peter, and Andrew both preached in Gentile heavy areas throughout their life until they died. So he had a heart for them. He must have knew that Jesus will take not only Jews, but also Gentiles. He had an unbiased evangelistic outreach. Philip must have also thought, man, if you want somebody to get to Jesus, just bring them to Andrew. Andrew knows how to get people to Jesus. I think it's of note that Andrew cared about individuals. He cared about his brother. He cared about these individual Greeks. He cared about this one little boy in his lunch. He knew him. Andrew was the guy that would take time for the person to talk. He's seen in the Bible as never preaching the thousands. He's not like his brother Peter, but he was seen as one who brought people one by one to Jesus. Let's pray that God will raise up Andrews all throughout our church. Amen. Number four, Andrew was humble. Andrew's name's only mentioned 13 times in the Bible. Peter's name's mentioned 211 times. That's, a, that's 16 times more. It's of note that Andrew was referred to as Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, seven of the 13 times. He was known as Andrew. Oh, Simon Peter's brother. Oh, now I know who Andrew is. He stood in the shadows of his brother's image. But Andrew never seemed to mind that, did he? He was the guy that was willing to be behind the scenes, humble, serving. He didn't have to have his name out there. He's like Ephesians 6.6. 6. He served God not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants from, of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. His ministry was a place of support. He didn't mind being hidden. He was a leader with a servant's heart. You know, people may see the pastor in the front of the church, but I can tell you this church isn't about one guy. This church is about hundreds and hundreds of people that serve the Lord every week, and nothing here would have happened without all the humble service of so many others. In Scripture, you never hear Andrew preaching great powerful sermons or leading thousands in revival, but he's just faithfully serving Christ. You know, Peter never would have been the great preacher he was if Andrew didn't bring Peter to Jesus. Raise your hand if you've heard the name Edward Kimball. Raise your hand if you've heard of the name Edward Kimball. Raise it high. So maybe, maybe, a, maybe a dozen people in here. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher in Chicago. And a 17-year-old shoe salesman came to his church one day, Sunday school class. And he thought, I need to go share the gospel with that man. Edward Kimball was not a great speaker. He wasn't a very bold guy either. He just felt compelled to share the gospel with this student who came to his class. So he said, I went down and I was purposed in my mind to go share the gospel with this young man. And he said, I was so nervous, he literally walks by the shoe store. And he's like, you know what? He got so convicted. He's like, I'm going to have it over at once. He walks in. He says, I walk up to the guy. He's in the back of the shoe department. He says, I begin to share the gospel with him. He said, I, it wasn't a pretty presentation. I don't remember everything I said to him. He said, but, but I shared Christ with him. And that young man, it's like light just came upon his heart. He called out to Christ as his Savior right there in the shoe store. That was in 1850. That young man's name was Dwight L. Moody who went on to preach to a hundred million people, had over a million people come to know Christ. 
God used him in such a mighty way. That work is still going on today in the Moody Bible College and other outreaches. Nobody really knows Edward Kimball. But Edward Kimball had a hand in the salvation of all those people, didn't he? You know, a lot of people don't remember Andrew. Oh, that's Simon Peter. Oh, okay, now I know who he is. You may not be gifted to get up and to preach and to declare and to speak publicly. There's not a whole lot of Peters in the world like that. But all of us could be an Andrew. Who could God... Somebody led Billy Graham to Christ. Somebody led these great preachers of yesteryear. I bet in Andrew's life, Peter came to him at some point and said, I just want to thank you, Andrew, for bringing me to Jesus. Has anybody, can anybody say that to you? And I want to close with how Andrew, Andrew finished well. Tradition says that Andrew took the gospel. This is interesting, especially in the day that we live. He went up and preached along the Black Sea, went up into Russia, Kiev, and they said potentially all the way up into Scotland preaching the gospel. In fact, the Scottish flag today has St. Andrew's cross on it. That's why it's in the X-shaped cross. Even Russians, Russia's navy has St. Andrew's cross on it. He became the patron saint of Ukraine and Russia and Romania. He was ultimately crucified in Achaia, which is northern, southern, or southern Greece near Athens. One account says he led the governor's wife to Christ. It so infuriated him that he threatened Andrew with crucifixion. Andrew replied this way, I would not have preached the honor and glory of the cross if I feared the death of the cross. History says while en route to the execution, seeing the cross awaiting him, he never changed his expression, nor did he stumble in his words. With bold faith, Andrew said, O cross, most welcome and longed for, with a willing mind, joyfully and desirously, I come to you, being the scholar of him who did hang on you, because I have always been your lover and yearned to embrace you. They did not nail him to the cross. They actually turned it in an X shape like this, and they tied him there to prolong the suffering. They said he preached for two days until he died to passerbyers. He never would stop preaching. Even dying, the evangelist could not be silenced. And in Andrew, we find the words of Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so I would ask you today, have you brought anyone to Jesus? Have you brought any clay to the potter? And today could be that day of salvation. If you don't know Christ, you could be saved. And if you do know Christ, let's go from being a hesitant obedience to an instant obedience.